Chapter Twenty One of the House of Whispers by William Lacroix. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Through the Mists. Sir Henry refused to speak with his daughter when, on the following morning, she stole in and laid her hand softly upon his arm. He ordered her, in a tone quite unusual, to leave the library. Through the morning hours, she had lain awake trying to make a resolve. But alas, she dared not tell the truth. She was in deadly fear of Flockhart's reprisals. That morning, at nine o'clock, Lady Hayburn and Flockhart had held hurried consultation in secret, at which she had explained to her what had occurred. Excellent, she had remarked briefly, but we must now have a care, my dear friend. Mind the girl does not throw all prudence to the winds and turn upon us. Bah! he laughed. I don't fear that for a single second. And he left the room again, to salute her in the breakfast room a quarter of an hour later, as though they had not met before that day. Gabrielle, on leaving her father, went out for a long walk alone, away over the heather-clad hills. For hours she went on. Jock, her Aberdeen terrier, toddling at her side, in her hand a stout ash stick, regardless of the muddy roads or the wet weather. It was gray, damp, and dismal, one of those days which in the highlands are often so very cheerless and dispiriting. Yet on and still on she went, her mind full of the events of the previous night, full also of the dread secret which prevented her from exposing her father's false friend. In order to save her father, should she sacrifice herself, sacrifice her own life? That was the one problem before her. She saw nothing, she heeded nothing. Hunger or fatigue troubled her not. Indeed, she took no notice of where her footsteps led her. Beyond Creef she wandered, along the river bank a short distance, ascending a hill, where a wild and wonderful view spread before her. There she sat down upon a big boulder to rest. Her hair blown by the chill wind, she sat staring straight before her, thinking, ever thinking. She had not seen Lady Hayburn that day. She had seen no one. At six o'clock that morning, she had written a long letter to Walter Murray. She had not mentioned the midnight incident, but she had, with many expressions of regret, pointed out the futility of any further affection between them. She had not attempted to excuse herself. She merely told him that she considered herself unworthy of his love, and because of that, and that alone, she had decided to break off their engagement. A dozen times she had reread the letter after she had completed it. Surely it was the letter of a heartbroken and desperate woman. Would he take it in the spirit in which it was meant? She wondered. She loved him. Ah, loved him better than anyone else in all the world. But she now saw that it was useless to masquerade any longer. The blow had fallen, and it had crushed her. She was powerless to resist, powerless to deny the false charge against her, powerless to tell the truth. That letter, which she knew must come as a cruel blow to Walter, she had given to the postman with her own hands, and it was now on its way south. As she sat on the summit of the heather-clad hill, she wondered what effect her written words would have upon him. He had loved her so devotedly ever since they had been children together. Well, she knew how strong was his passion for her, how his life was at her disposal. She knew that on reading those despairing lines of hers, 
he would be staggered she recalled the dear face of her soulmate his hot kisses his soft terms of endearment and alone there with none to witness her bitter grief she burst into a flood of tears the sad grayness of the landscape was in keeping with her own great sorrow she had lost all that was dear to her and young as she was with hardly any experience of the world and its ways she was already the victim of grim circumstance broken by the grief of a self-renounced love gnawing at her true heart the knowledge that lady heyburn and flockhart would exult over her downfall and exile to that tiny house in a sleepy little northamptonshire village did not trouble her her enemies had triumphed she had played the game and lost just as she might have lost at billiards or at bridge for she was a thorough sportswoman she only grieved because she saw the grave peril of her dear father and because she now foresaw the utter hopelessness of her own happiness it was better she reflected far better that she should go into the dull and dreary exile of an english village with the unexciting companionship of aunt emily an ascetic spinster of the mid-victorian era and make pretence of pique with walter than to reveal to him the shameful truth he would at least in those circumstances retain of her a recollection fond and tender he would not despise nor hate her as he most certainly would do if he knew the real astounding facts how long she remained there high up with the chill winds of autumn tossing her silky light brown hair she knew not rain clouds were gathering and the rugged hill before her was now hidden behind a, a bank of mist time had crept on without her heeding it for what did time now matter to her what indeed did anything matter her young life though she was still in her teens had ended or at least as far as she was concerned it had was she not calmly and coolly contemplating telling the truth and putting an end to her existence after saving her father's honour her sad tearful eyes gazed slowly about her as she suddenly awakened to the fact that she was far very far from home she had been dazed unconscious of everything because of the heavy burden of grief within her heart but now she looked forth upon the small gray loch with its dark fringe of trees the gray and purple hills beyond the gray sky and the gray filmy mists that hung everywhere the world was indeed sad and gloomy and even jock sat looking up at his young mistress as though regarding her grief and wonder now and then distant shots came from across the hills they were shooting over the drummond estate she knew for she had had an invitation to join their luncheon party that day lady heyburn and flockhart had no doubt gone that she told herself was her last day in the highlands that picturesque breezy country she loved so well it was her last day amid those familiar places where she and walter had so often wandered together and where he had told her of his passionate devotion well perhaps it was best after all down south she would not be reminded of him every moment and at every turn no she sighed within herself as she rose to descend the hill she must steel herself against her own sad reflections she must learn how to forget what will he say she murmured aloud as she went down with jock frisking and barking before her what will he think of me when he gets my letter he will believe me fickle he will believe that i have another lover that is certain well i must allow him to believe it we have parted and we must now alas remain apart for ever probably he will seek from my father the truth concerning my disappearance from glencardine dad will tell him no doubt and then then what will he believe he 
he will know that i am unworthy to be his wife yet yet it is not cruel that i dare not speak the truth and clear myself of this foul charge of betraying my own dear father was ever a girl placed in such a position as myself i wonder has any girl ever loved a man better than i love walter her white lips were set hard and her fine eyes became again bedimmed by tears it commenced to rain that fine drizzle so often experienced north of the tweed but she heeded not she was used to it to get wet through was to her quite a frequent occurrence when out fishing though there was no path she knew her way and walking through the wet heather she came after half an hour out upon a muddy by-road which led her into the town of Creef. once her return was easy though it was already dusk and the dressing-bell had gone before she re-entered the house by the servant's door and slipped unobserved up to her own room elise found her seated in her blue gown before the welcome fire-log her chin upon her breast her excuse was that she felt unwell therefore one of the maids brought her some dinner on a tray upon the mantel-shelf were many photographs some of them snapshots of her schoolfellows and souvenirs of holidays the odds and ends of portraits and scenes which every girl unconsciously collects among them in a plain silver frame was the picture of walter murray taking in new york only a few weeks before upon the frame was engraved gabrielle form walter she took it in her hand and stood for a long time motionless never again alas would she look upon that face so dear to her her young heart was already broken because she was held fettered and powerless at last she put down the portrait and sinking into her chair sat crying bitterly now that she was outcast by her father to whom she had been always such a close devoted friend her life was an absolute blank at one blow she had lost both lover and father already elise had told her that she had received instructions to pack her trunks the thin-nosed frenchwoman was apparently much puzzled at the order which lady Hayburn had given her and had asked the girl whom she intended to visit the maid had asked what dresses she would require but gabrielle replied that she might pack what she liked for a long visit the girl could hear elise moving about shaking out skirts in the adjoining room and making preparations for her departure on the morrow despondent hopeless grief-stricken she sat before the fire for a long time she had locked the door and switched off the light for it irritated her she loved the uncertain light of dancing flames and sat huddled there in her big chair for the last time she was reflecting upon her own brief life scarcely out of the schoolroom she had lived most of her days up in that dear old place where every inch of the big estate was so familiar to her she remembered all those happy days at school first in england and then in france with the kind-faced sisters in their spotless headdresses and the quiet happy life of the convent the calm grave face of sister marguerite looked down upon her from the mantel-shelf as if in sympathizing with her pretty pupil in those troubles that had come so early to her she raised her eyes and she saw the portrait its sight aroused within her a new thought and fresh recollection had not sister marguerite always taught her to beseech the almighty's aid when in doubt or when in trouble those grave solemn words of the mother superior rang in her ears and she fell upon her knees beside her narrow bed in the alcove and with murmuring lips prayed for divine support and assistance she raised her sweet troubled face to heaven and made confession to her maker then after a long silence she struggled again to her feet more cool and more collected she took up walter's portrait 
and kissing it put it away carefully in a drawer some of her little treasures she gathered together and placed with it preparatory to departure for she would on the morrow leave glencardine perhaps for ever the stable clock had struck ten to where she stood came the strident sounds of the mechanical piano player for some of the gay party were waltzing in the hall their merry shouts and laughter were discordant to her ears what cared any of those friends of her stepmother if she were in disgrace and an outcast drawing aside the curtain she saw that the night was bright and starlit she preferred the air out in the park to the sounds of gaiety within that house which was no longer to be her home therefore she slipped on a skirt and blouse and throwing her golf cape across her shoulders and a shawl over her head she crept past the room wherein elise was packing her belongings and down the back stairs to the lawn the sound of the laughter of the men and women of the shooting party aroused a poignant bitterness within her as she passed across the drive she saw a light in the library where no doubt her father was sitting in his loneliness filling and examining his collection of seal impressions she turned and walking straight on struck the gravelled path which took her to the castle ruins not until the black ponderous walls rose before her did she awaken to a consciousness of her whereabouts then entering the ruined courtyard she halted and listened all was dark above the stars twinkled brightly and in the ivy the night-birds stirred the leaves holding her breath she strained her ears yes she was not deceived there were sounds distinct and undeniable she was fascinated listening again to those shadow voices that were always precursory of death the fatal whispers end of chapter twenty one